Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. We will be in verses 6 through 9 this morning as we turn our attention to Galatians chapter 3. Now, just a note uh, on Galatians 3 and a bit of a comment on some broader themes throughout uh, the Word of God, particularly in the New Testament. A note on gendered language, gendered language, that is language that is specific either to male or female. So you'll see in our text, beginning in verse 6 and going through verse 9, there is a discussion on the sons of Abraham, the sons of Abraham and what it means to be a son of Abraham. And it's important for us to understand that the Gender-specific language of son is important to what Paul is communicating. Because Paul is having a discussion about circumcision and about inheritance. And these two things are very specifically tied to the idea of sonship. But we need to understand that although the language is gender-specific, it's gender-specific for the metaphor. And what that means is, is that there is an image that is being created and ideas that are being drawn on from the idea of sonship that apply to us whether we are male or female. Okay? If you are in Christ... The promises that are made to the sons of Abraham apply to both male and female. But the gendered language is important. If we strip it out as some major modern translations of this passage have done, we strip it of things that are very important to what it's trying to communicate. Now, for another example that does not fit here, And so that all of us are involved in this idea of transcending a metaphor. Men, you are rendered a part of the body of Christ, which is called the bride of Christ. Okay? I think we would all agree that we would miss something if we began referring to the bride of Christ as the spouse of Christ. And we took out the gendered language of bride Something would be missing. Something would be off. But men, we have to understand that we are part of that. That we are part of being the bride of Christ. And so both men and women have to deal with metaphors that that go against our gender, but the gender-specific nature of the metaphor is important. And so as we come to this, and even in your notes, we see that there's gender-specific language. I hope that the women who are gathered here do not feel left out, but that you understand that these promises are to you as well. Although they are specific to the gender of sons, it's because of the metaphor, but it's drawing all of us in. So as we hear the word of God, know that it is for the people of God, both male and female equally. So here now. The word of the Lord, Galatians 3, beginning in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that as those 
of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You now in this time and we pray, O Lord, that You would open our eyes to see wondrous things in Your law. We pray that You would grant to us Your Spirit that in knowing Your Word we might know Your presence and that in following Your ways we might live in Your light. And we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What is the bond that ties your family together? Family is a funny thing in that it is deeply rooted in genetic connections but can transcend these physical bonds. What do I mean by that statement? Well, I mean that a family is easily recognizable as a unit of genetically related individuals. Nevertheless, at the very heart of each family is the union of two genetically different individuals. That is to say, a husband and a wife. And within your family, there are other members with whom you have no direct genetic relationship. Your in-laws, for example, are family, yet not genetically so. For those of you who have adopted children or siblings, you know that family transcends genetics. Adopted children are just as much a part of the family as those biologically born into the family. Genetics are important to the family bond, but they cannot be the essential defining factor in what it means to belong to a family. So then what constitutes this essential bond if it is not sharing the same genes? It's important to have this question settled individually and as a family. For the very structure of family life means that those who are genetic outsiders will have to at some point need to be integrated into your familial life. Right? That's again what marriage is. It is bringing genetically different people together to form a new bond and create a new branch of the family. And therefore... Mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law will have to find ways to make peace so that the family can grow. Adopted siblings will have to know their place in the family is secure and not contingent. Nephews with no genetic tie to you personally will need to know that they are accepted and loved for the family to continue to function. If a family is going to properly grow and mature, there needs to be a bond in your family that transcends biology. A bond of faithfulness, of loyalty, and of love. And if this is true for our personal families, it's even more true for the family of God. If the body of Christ is to mature, is to grow, it will have to find a bond of unity that transcends kinship. I've seen it happen time and again, country churches that are comprised of two or three family units. 
These families control everything that happens in the church. They control the session. They control the budget, the mission, the theology. And they control even the pastor. An elder in a church like this once told his new pastor, we don't rotate session members, we rotate pastors. And when a church is dominated by kinship, it will never be able to execute a viable mission to the community. There must be a bond that transcends biology. And this is true not just of small churches, but larger churches as well. For large churches can become so narrowly constituted that they are unable to welcome into their family anyone who does not fit into a racial, a social economic, a political, educational, or generational niche. But there has to be a bond that transcends biology. Now a radical shift in the trajectory of the family of God occurred at the day of Pentecost. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and poured out His Spirit upon the church, it began an outward movement of expansion in which the family of God began to incorporate not only ethnic Jews, but Gentiles, that is non-Jews as well, into the family of God. As you go through the book of Acts, you see Gentile after Gentile being brought in. Cornelius, Lydia, the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Philippian jailer. Paul and Barnabas begin their Gentile mission and planted churches throughout the Roman Empire. And this expansion meant that a central question had to be answered. How were Gentiles to be brought into the family of God? How were they to be incorporated into the broader body of believers? What was the essential bond of unity of the family of God? In Galatia, the false teachers were demanding that a true member of the family needed the mark of the family. That was circumcision. Jesus was important, but before one could benefit from the family Messiah, from the Jewish Messiah, one first had to join that Jewish family. And to join the Jewish family, one needed to follow the law. And the mark of obedience to the law and the main gate through which one entered into that family of God was circumcision. Do you want to be heirs of the promises of God? Do you want to be considered a true son? Do you desire citizenship in the kingdom? Then you must obey the law. Nevertheless, Paul argues that it is not the flesh It is not the works of the law that functions as the essential mark of the family of God, but faith in Jesus Christ. For it is not the flesh, but faith that is that has been and always has and always will be the true bond of the family of God. Now, central to the formation of the family of God was the call of Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the Jewish people. It was with him that the Lord began a family in which and through which the whole world would be blessed. When the Lord called Abraham to leave his own country and to come to the land of Canaan, he made him this promise in Genesis 12 that you heard reflected in Galatians. It says, go from your country and your kindred 
and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, Abraham was given a great promise but one that had to be received by faith. For Abraham had to leave what was familiar to him, and he had to believe that despite the fact that he had no children, he and his wife, who were both very old, would have a child. That God would make a great nation out of them. He was promised that he would be a father, but he had to receive that promise in faith. Listen to how this played out later in Genesis 15. Also, Alluded to in our Galatians reading. It says, and he brought him outside as the Lord brought Abraham outside, right? He had received this promise that he was going to be a great nation, but several years had gone by and he's wavering in his faith. He's like, this doesn't seem to be happening, God. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. To understand what it means to belong to the family of God, we must understand that, def- that the defining characteristic of Abraham, the father of, of God's people, was faith and not flesh. Faith is how Abraham became the father of the people of Israel. The Lord made him a promise. You will be the father of a great nation. And despite all things pointing to the contrary, Abraham believed the promise of God and received what was promised. You see, the flesh of Abraham was weak. Everything in the Genesis narrative about Abraham is pointing us to the weakness of his flesh. First, he was weak because of his age. I always find Paul's rendering in Romans 4 a bit comical when he's talking about Abraham. He says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. You see, his flesh was not going to be the power that generated this great nation. Second, his flesh was weak because of ignorance. When Sarah failed to conceive, they turned to Hagar, Sarah's servant, to be a surrogate mother. They tried to figure out on their own how they might bring about the promises of God according to their own power. And that created all sorts of familial challenges. And third, his flesh was weak because of sin. There are those who think that Abraham was chosen by God because of his great obedience and holiness. But the reality is that Abraham's life was filled with deceitfulness and fear and sin. Nevertheless, by His grace, God chose weak Abraham to show forth His power. For as Galatians 3, 6 quotes Genesis 15, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. As you remember from last week, Paul was demonstrating that the Galatians were received by God through faith. 
he now connects that same concept to Abraham, right? Look there at verse 6. You realize that we kind of jumped in in the middle of a sentence as we began reading uh, this week, starting in verse 6. He says, just as, right? He's pointing back, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's pointing back to the fact that the Galatians believed God and it was counted to them as righteousness. It was not by works of the law, not by the flesh, but by faith that Abraham became the father of God's people. And their faith is the defining factor of God's family. So how do you know that you are in the family of God? Well, first you need to know that the family was begun. That is, Abraham became a father through faith. Now, the second thing that we need to know is that Abraham's true sons are also of faith. Look at verse 7. There Paul says, Know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What is Paul's logic? Well, he's saying, The family was formed by Abraham's faith in God's promise. And therefore, the true mark of belonging is faith in God's promise. Now, here we need to spend some time addressing a view of the family of God that is very common in evangelical Christianity, but does not deal with the complexity of biblical teaching. This view says that only those of Jewish heritage that is, those who are ethnically Jewish, are truly God's chosen people. That is to say, it is merely those of physical descent from Abraham who are Abraham's sons and heirs of the Abrahamic promises. There is a radical separation between Jews and Gentiles, so much so that there is a different means of salvation offered to each. That Jews would be saved according to the law and Gentiles according to grace. This view also therefore holds that faith has no connection to family and that family bonds between parents and children have nothing to do with one's place in the family of God. But to understand the full biblical picture, we need to understand first that it is only those of faith who are true sons of Abraham. True Israel is a spiritual reality. And therefore, the Galatians who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ were brought into the family of God as full sons. There is no second class or even one B class of sons. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are true sons of Abraham. They are true Israel. But this does not negate the reality that God is gracious to work in and through family lines. He chose the biological line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose the family line of Judah, Jesse, and David to raise up his Messiah. 
And even now, God gives great promises to the parents of the, the, those who are believers. He gives great promises to their children. And he says that they too are heirs of the covenant promises. And they are to receive the sign of that covenant, which is baptism. But we need not be confused. Because while biology is of great importance for families, it is not of paramount importance. And acceptance into the family of God is not based upon physical descent. It is based upon God's grace and is received by faith alone. Those born into Abraham's family had great advantages and promises, but they had to be received in faith or they were not true members of the family of God. And those born to Christian families have great promises made to them as well. But unless these promises are received in faith, they are of no avail. You see, the defining and essential mark of the family of God is faith in Jesus Christ. The Galatians were feeling like second-class citizens in the family of God. They were being made to feel as though they needed something more. They needed the law. They needed circumcision. And if they didn't submit to these requirements, their Jewish brothers wouldn't even eat with them. But the mark of a true member of the family of God is not flesh. It is faith. You see, Abraham was a father by faith in the promises of God. Everyone who has faith in Christ is therefore a son of Abraham. And therefore, you must believe that you are also Abraham's son by faith. Look at verses 8 through 9 of our text. Paul says, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. An early taste of the gospel was given to Abraham. He was promised that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. That is to say, the Lord's promise of salvation for all the world began in Abraham's family and it came to fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that he took upon himself the weight and the guilt of sin and poured out his blood to pay the price of redemption so that whosoever believes in him will be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Although it was in seed form, the gospel of salvation and adoption into the family of God was given to Abraham and was received by faith. And this promise was passed down to his children and to his grandchildren and to his great-grandchildren. This gospel was at the heart of what it meant to be a true member of Abraham's family, to believe that God would save a people to himself through a son born into Abraham's family and offered up as a sacrifice for all the world. It was faith in this gospel message by which Abraham was accounted righteous. He was found right with God, not because of his works of obedience, but rather he was counted righteous because of his faith in the gospel. And this faith of Abraham was a foreshadowing of how God would bring together his family. For as the text says, God justifies Gentiles by faith, just as he justified Abraham by faith. 
There are times when it's hard to feel a part of the family of God. You know your own weaknesses and struggles. And you classify yourself as a second-class citizen. Maybe you have a different cultural or economic or racial background from the majority of the people in a particular church and you feel as though you don't belong. The music seems foreign. The dress seems too formal or not formal enough. There are countless outward differences that can get in the way of feeling a part of the family of God. But we must understand that the true mark of belonging is not these outward things. The true mark of of belonging is faith. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are a son of Abraham, a member of the family of God. There are no rankings that place those of certain ethnic descent in higher or lower places of acceptance. As Paul will so powerfully proclaim at the end of this chapter, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And therefore, if you would come into the family of God, you must place your faith in the Gospel. The gospel that was preached beforehand to Abraham. The gospel that was that God has saved you by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Then you are a son of Abraham. A member of the family of God. So what is the essential mark of family? If Rivermont is to function properly, in the broader family of God, if we are to expand, if we are to grow, if we are to reach more and more people with the Gospel, we have to be clear on this issue. And if we desire not only our community to be integrated into the family of God, but if we desire our covenant children to be integrated into the true family of God. We cannot be satisfied just with outward marks. We must point all people to the essential mark of union, faith in Jesus Christ. For this is the foundational truth of God's family. For it has always been and always will be comprised of those who have believed the promise of the Gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You now in this time and we pray, Lord, that You would give us faith, that we might truly understand what it means to be members of the family of God. And we pray, O God, that we would so live in community with one another that we would invite and draw those who are outwardly different from ourselves into this family that we might function as You have called us to. That we might see the Kingdom of God comprised not just of one age group, Not just of one genetic group. Not just of one socioeconomic group. 
but of men and women and children from all nations. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.